Mother's Day. Um, we're going to be looking this morning at a passage in 1 Kings um, chapter 17. And it's about a no-named widow. Uh, we don't know her name. Uh, the story's fairly long, and we're only going to look at the first part of it this morning. But um, you're going to find it. I've got to find a new place for this now because we moved, uh, we moved chairs up here. Uh, you're going to find it in uh, 1, Kings chapter 7, uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, and, uh, okay, we're gonna, I'm trying, the guys, we're going to do this a little different. So there we go, 1 Kings 17. Um, let me say this, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to do that yet. See, I'm, I love this thing. This is awesome. I get to be in control again. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, it's Mother's Day. Um, and today, like I say, we're, we're going to focus on, on, on women um, in particular, especially moms. But um, I, I do want to say this. Here, we are so fortunate. We have some of the greatest ladies around. Um, and I, I, I'm not just saying that. I, I genuinely mean it uh, from my heart. I, I will put the ladies here up against any church anywhere. Uh, I really will. As far as your servant's heart, as far as your... Uh, the fun that you guys have, sometimes it gets a little out of hand, but that's okay. Uh, you guys just, and, and by the way, you should know that, that people notice that. Um, even at the funeral, I had somebody come up and, you know, they said, you've got an incredible group of ladies here helping and stuff like that. I said, I know. Um, when we did the flood, uh, one, of, one of the pastors down there, uh, Bob, who was kind of coordinating everything down there, he needed some help. And so I said, I'll, I'll send a lady over to work with you every day. And, and so throughout the week, I'd send him different ladies. And he came to me about it was near the end of the week. He said, you know, he said, I got to tell you, he said, you've sent me some great ladies to work with me. I said, you know what's awesome, Bob? I said, I have a church full of them. I said, I could have just pulled names out of a hat and every one of them would have done that kind of job. You know, and I said, you know, because I said, we were very fortunate to have that. And, and um, you know, so if, you know, you go, well, you know, it gets a little crazy at times, but that's awesome. I, I love that. I love that you guys like getting together and you like working together and I told somebody that this past week they said uh, you know they were asking about the church and things like that and I said I said I'm very fortunate I said I get to pastor a church where people actually like each other I said so it's great uh, it really is but today's Mother's Day for some of you um, you're a mom and uh, it's a great day for the others of you 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 have memories of a great mom and so today is a uh, is an encouraging day for you. But I also realize that for some of you, today's a difficult day. Um, for some of you, you, you never had biological children, you never adopted. Um, and so, you know, you kind of feel sometimes like you, there's something that you missed. For some of you, Mother's Day difficult because you've buried a child or children. Um, and, and, and so that's hard. For, for others of you, you didn't have a great mom or you didn't know your mom. And so a day like today is somewhat kind of tough. Um, some of you came from, from divorced homes, and so you, you may not have known your, your, your mom or uh, those kinds of things. And it's just a, it, it's a hard day. But this morning, I want to talk about this uh, no-named widow, who actually is kind of an important character. We're going to talk about that about why in a minute but she was a widow and whether you're a mom here today or whether you're a man or whoever 
um, we want you to know that uh, there's some things we can all learn from her that will help us as we head into this week. So with that in mind, we're going to go to 1 Kings um, 17, and here's what it says. It's talking about Elijah and, and the story. I'll get into that in a second. But it said, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, Elijah was a prophet. He had predicted it wasn't going to rain for 40 days. Um, God led him to a brook, fed him by ravens. But that point in time came to an end. And so God is going to do something different now in Elijah's life. And here's what he says. He says, then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. And we don't know her name, okay? All we know is she's a widow, and she's in Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked. He said, why do you bring... He said, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? This is not a big deal. All she's got to do is go over to the well, grab a little water, and bring it back. That's not a big deal. And as she was going to get it, he called out and said, Hey, bring me a piece of bread, too. Okay? No big deal, right? I mean, hey, can you get me something to drink? And she said, Sure, I can go do that for you. And as she's walking away, he says, Oh, by the way, hey, can you bring me some bread, too? Now, that's going to be a problem. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But let me give you some background here so that you understand this passage, okay? Um, this is a time where Elijah's the prophet. He's in a land of um, Jezebel and Ahab, and they worship Ashtaroth. That's, if you remember later, you're going to see the story of, of him calling down fire from heaven on, on Mount Carmel and all those things. That hasn't happened. What's happened is they're, they're in a drought time right now because Elijah has said, my God's the God, you need to follow him. And they said, uh, nana, nana, boo, boo, we ain't following your God, our God's God. And their God was a God of, uh, that would provide for them. And so they said, you know what, since you're not going to follow our God, then my God, and again, it was a whole world of whose God was more powerful, my God's not going to send rain. <clears throat> and then it doesn't rain. So at some point, guess who they're looking for? And they're, fine. They're, they're after Elijah now because this is the guy who's said it ain't going to rain and it, we need to get him in touch with his God so that we can start raining again. So there's a big issue, but the problem is God is taking care of Elijah. So he leads him out to a brook. He feeds him with ravens. And then because of the natural course of the weather, the brook dries up. And God says to him, I want you to go to Zarephath which is in the area of Sidon. Now, here's the problem, okay? First of all, this is 100 miles away. And in addition to... So, here to Omaha, okay? So, God's saying, okay, I want you to walk from here to Omaha. Um, but here's the problem. Jezebel is from Sidon. So, God is now saying, Elijah, look, I know you're nice and safe here at the brook but I'm going to ask you to go to an area where all Jezebel's relatives live. Now, if you're God's prophet who's hiding because people are wanting to find you to kill you so that it rains again, where's the last place? It, 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 would, it would be like you being on FBI's 10 most wanted list and God coming to you and saying, now I want you to go live in Washington, D.C. You know, I mean, that's the last place you want to be if you're trying to hide from the FBI. And yet, in this case, God says, look, I want you to go all the way down 
to where all of Jezebel's relatives are. And so he gets there, and he comes into this widow woman, who basically what happens is she is gathering sticks at the gate, and we don't know why until the next passage. And so, and so the scripture goes on, and here's what it says. As surely as the Lord God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. I got a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. Typically when they made bread, you know how, you know how you line, guys, you don't know this, some of you don't, but you, know, you, you don't want to burn the bread, so you have to line the pan with oil or, or real people use real butter. But, I mean, you, 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 know, you, um, you line the pan so that it doesn't stick. And so you got a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son. So we know something else about her now. Not only is she a widow, but she has a child. She has a son. That we may eat it and die. She said, the water's no big deal. But you want me to make you some bread, and you need to know, I got enough bread for one meal. And the reason I've gathered these few sticks is because I'm going to go back, and we've gone as long as we can go. I'm going to take the little flour that I've got and the little oil that I've got. I'm going to make our last meal. My son and I are going to sit down. We're going to eat it together. And then we're going to watch each other wither away until we die. And you have just asked me for that meal. That's a big ask. Now, as a mom who's concerned for your child, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And by the way, we know from this passage, she's not a believer. Elijah's God is not her God. So she's a pagan. And yet, God asked that of this woman. And Elijah has to look at her and now all of a sudden deal with this. And again, what do you do as a mom? Do you give your last meal to a complete stranger? Because that's what God's asking of this mom. And so what happens is Elijah now, and by the way, this is a big deal for Elijah because he's, got to, he's, been, he's been alone and now all of a sudden he's going to have to depend on some widow woman? And then notice how the text goes on, and here's what it says. Um, it talks about, uh, and Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first, you make me a loaf of bread for me. That you have, and bring it to me, and make something for yourself and your son. So she said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and I want you to make a loaf of bread. Now, common sense would say this, right? We eat, and then you eat. Here's the analogy. The analogy would be, you and I are going down to the homeless shelter, and they've just run out of food, and we're now going to sit down at a table with homeless people, and we're going to look at one of them and say, uh, can I have that? I mean, you ate yesterday, didn't you? You know, I mean, if you went to the graduation things, you ate really well yesterday, and you ate a lot yesterday. But I mean, you know, you ate yesterday, right? Elijah had been taken care of, and now all of a sudden he's going to sit across from somebody who's about ready to have their last meal and say, give that to me first. And there's an interesting principle here, and, and, and you need to understand this. When you put God first, the rest of it falls into line. You put God first in, 
in your time, your talents, your gifts, your abilities, your money, your family, your job, your everything else, the rest of it, God takes care of. But God asks a hard thing of him and a hard thing of her. And she says, give it to me first. For this is what the Lord God says, the jar of flour will not be used up, the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on it. For the jug of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not dry, and keeping the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. And she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah, the woman, for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So she goes, and now again, picture the scene. Don't, don't, don't just blow this off. Picture the scene, you and your son, you're a, you're a widow, which means dad's not in the picture. And, and you need to understand that because dad's not in the picture, this is a big deal. Because in that culture, what was going to happen is, your son, as you got older, would take care of you. So she's really protective of taking care of this. Because this is her future. If this kid doesn't make it, she doesn't make it. And the only conclusion she's come to is, let's eat our last meal together and die together. That's our future. We're, we, every, there's no hope past that. And Elijah comes on the scene and says, get me something to drink, and would you make me a cake first? She has enough faith to say, okay, I'm going to trust you. I mean, I think this lady's reaching for straws for anything. And so she goes home. She gets the flower. Now, I want you to think about the thing with the sun. What's the sun thinking? Oh, good. Mom's making our last meal. She gets it all made. And then she says, come on, we're going to go over here. And she hands it to somebody else. And you're going, Mom, what are we going to eat now? You're my mom. That was it. You just gave it away. She goes back home. I don't know, clean dishes, whatever else. Goes back home or goes back into the house and maybe Elijah's sitting outside in the courtyard where they're making, making the meal anyway. And she goes back in and she looks in the jar and it's got flour in it. The jar's got oil in it. Well, there's enough for us now. I'm going to make you something. And then every day that she gets up, just like the manna in the Old Testament for the, for the, Jew, for the uh, Jewish people, in a wandering wilderness of 40 days, every day it was refreshed. Every day they had enough. And there's a great principle in there of trusting God, enough for every single day. And so you have this story. Now, the story goes on. I don't know if I'm going to get to preach on it next week or not. The story goes on, and, and I'm going to challenge you to read the rest of it, because... And there's a whole other thing that happens that, that is, is just mind-boggling, too. But for this part of it, this is where I want to talk about this morning. This is what I want to focus on this morning. So I, I want to pull a couple of things for us that I think will help us and try to understand some things and may be encouraging to all of you, but particularly those of you who are, who are moms. Um, basically, um, here's the first thing you see. God uses humble, obedient Um, it's, 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 it's interesting to note when you, when you go through this passage and when you, when you look at it, Elijah has to be humble at some point. Elijah, who has been dependent upon God, is now going to go into a foreign land and depend on a foreign person who doesn't even believe in the God that he worships. He's going to have to go to ask a one, uh, Elijah, who's been taken care of literally by God himself and ravens, is now going to have to be dependent on a widow woman, a pagan 
foreign widow woman. So there's an incredible amount of humility and obedience on Elijah's part. He's going to have to trust God because he's going to have to go 100 miles into the middle of the heart of Jezebel territory. The widow woman has to have a humility to say, you know what? And, and it's interesting, when you read the passage carefully, you know what she says when she first meets Elijah? Your God. When the story's all done, it's her God too, but not when it starts. When it starts, it's your God. So there's no connection here. She's not doing this as obedient to God. She's just doing this because whatever reason. And I think Luke chapter 4 talks about her faith. But it's that issue of finally she puts her trust there. And so there's a humility on her part to say, yeah, I'll do what you've asked. Listen, a lot of people think that because they don't have the talents or gifts or abilities or whatever else or because they don't have the job or, or whatever else that God can't use them. It's humble, obedient people. God didn't send Elijah to a chef. That would have made sense, wouldn't it? God didn't send him to some, some baker. Sent him to a humble, average, run-of-the-mill widow woman in a foreign pagan land who wasn't even one of his children. Listen, there's an incredible lesson there about who God uses. And I challenge you, you know, we look at the disciples and we look at the, the Old Testament saints and everything else, but I challenge you to really go through and look at them closely. And you know what you'll find for almost every single one of them? They weren't mighty. They weren't noble. They were just average people. Just average people who said, God, if you'll use me, I'll, I'll, I'll serve you. Use me where you can. And in this case, God uses this woman to take care of God's man who's going to be the key person in all of the events that are going to play out in the rest of this area. But he uses a widow woman to take care of him. Don't minimize how God can use you. Second thing is this. God was aware of her situation, even though she wasn't aware of God. This wasn't her God. But God looks down, and God sees this widow woman and says, she's the one I want to use. It's interesting because this story, Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 4. Jesus refers to this story. In context, he talks, he's talking to the Jewish leaders, and he talks about the idea that faith is, is bigger than just Jewish people. That you can find faith outside of Jewish people. And he uses this story of the widow at Zarephath, to say that, but he, there's a little phrase in there that Jesus talks about, and he says this. In that day, there were many widows. In other words, there's lots of widows God could have chosen. He chose this one. This one, who God looked at and saw her situation, even though she did not see God. Listen to me. If God is concerned about someone who is not his child, and is aware of their situation, and chooses to intervene, how much more is he aware of your, your situation as his child? And I know his moms and his dads and, and sometimes his grandparents are telling him, we go, does God even understand what's happening in our family right now? Yes, he does. Yes, he has a plan. Yes, he has something in mind here bigger than you can imagine. This lady was at a point in her life where she was going to sit down and eat and die. Literally, the idea, she's going to sit down and watch 
her and her son physically waste away until they take their last breath. And instead, she's fed every day. Every single day because of her obedience. And God knew that this is what she needed. And, and I want to challenge you because some of you are up against situations where you say, you know, I just don't see God in it. Does God know? Does God care? Yes, he does. This passage teaches us he cares about somebody who's not even his child. By the way, isn't that the story of the cross? That God so loved that he came and gave his life for us. That's the God we serve. So when you sit back and, and by the way, from the beginning of time, Genesis chapter 2, what's Satan's, Satan's main goal? Does God know? Does God care? Does God really want you to be, does God really want to be involved in your life? God's keeping the best from you. That's what he started with Adam and Eve with. Let me tell you something. God, want, God does know what you're going through. Okay? Here's the last lesson. I think this is probably the most important lesson. I think this is the lesson that at least resonates the most with me, and I think you see it over and over again in this passage, is this. Sometimes, and I would suggest most of the time, God asks hard, difficult, impossible things from his children. As moms, some of you know this all too well. Um, You see... God wanted this woman to learn to trust him daily. He wanted a relationship with her. And so one of the things that happens is God has to bring difficult things or allow difficult things into our lives. Um, Ultimately, God uses this woman to take care of Elijah. But this woman comes to a point where it's very difficult. She has a tough decision to make. A very difficult, a very hard, impossible kind of decision. Some of you are in those kinds of situations. Um, we, we have a lot of people in here that, that have special needs children. And God has asked some impossible, difficult things of you. We have people in here who are caring for aging parents. And so you know what it's like to all of a sudden get that call and have to leave in the middle of the night to go take care of this or that and get them to the doctor and get this and constantly check out. We have people who are caring for Alzheimer's people who you know how frustrating it is to walk in every single day and have to tell them who you are. We have people who are struggling with spouses and all the difficulties that come with, with marriage and life and all those kinds of things. We have people that are in some impossible work situations where it seems like every time you try to do something, it just gets more and more harder and more difficult and, and, and those kinds of things. But here's the thing you need to understand. God is trusting you with that situation. Um, after the funeral Thursday, um, uh, I, I was with J- Josh Luce, um, uh, Pastor Josh, and um, Josh did the service, uh, or Josh helped me with the service. Um, I've known Josh for, since he was a little kid, and... Uh, Josh is uh, kind of the associate pastor at Lincoln Berean and um, doing a really great job there. In fact, uh, we're going to do something different this year. Um, uh, I'm going to be gone twice this summer, but both times I'm bringing somebody in to speak. And uh, Josh is going to be one of them in July. Josh, I'm bringing Josh in to to speak and do the service. Um, And and it's been fun for me to be involved in Josh's life and ministry. And so we like to talk shop. And, of course, so after the funeral, we're talking shop a little bit. And so I always 
try to find out what's going on. So one of the big, my big things about with pastors is let's not talk pastor stuff. Let's talk non-pastor stuff. So I said, tell me what your hobbies are. Tell me how you decompress. Tell me how you're handling the stuff. And so he was telling me what's happening. And of course, my mind immediately goes to glass. And so, you know, I told him, I said, this is my latest thing. I love glass. I said, there's just something about holding 1,500 degrees in your hand with nothing but wet paper between it. I said, it's just, it's fascinating to me. And so I took him to my office. I showed him a glass case in my office with all the stuff that I made. I said, you know, this is my latest stuff that I made, stuff like that. So we're looking at it. And I opened up the case, and there's one piece in my office that out of any piece I've ever done in my life, it has the most significant value to me, okay? Um, and glass blowing, I mean, it's a, it's a piece that has a lot of uh, emotions tied to it and a lot of uh, stuff like that. And I've debated whether I should even leave it up here, but I wanted it in my office, and so I opened up the cabinet, and I was explaining it to Josh, telling him the story behind it. And I took the glass piece out, and I handed it to Josh. Now, this is glass, and this is the most valuable piece of glass I have. This is the one that means the most. You know why, you know why I was able to put it in his hand? I trusted him. I knew he knew the value of it to me. I knew that he could appreciate it. I wasn't worried about him dropping it. He could have dropped it, but you know what? I trusted him. I trusted him with something that was very valuable to me, something that had spiritual significance to me and something that, that you know, I, I was emotionally tied to. And you go, it's a piece of glass. It's a piece of glass with my best friend's ashes in it. Okay? And I was explaining to him, you know, what I did and how I did it and why I did the design and that kind of thing. So he's sitting there holding this. And then he's really careful. You could tell he was nervous, you know, and he was really careful, and he handed it back to him. He looked at it and turned it over a couple times, and he's like, okay, I've had it, you know. Um, and, um, but you know why I could hand it to him? Because I trusted him. I love my granddaughter. I've never put it in her hands. Okay? It's not because I don't, it's because, you know what? She doesn't have the skill, the respect, the hand-eye coordination, the, to appreciate the importance or significance of that. Does that make sense? So I want you to think about this for a second. So for those of you who are in difficult situations, what does it say about how God sees you when he's willing to entrust you with that incredibly difficult, hard, rare, situation what does it say about you when the God of the universe says you know what I can't give that kid to just anybody what does it say about you when it's you know what there are certain people that wouldn't take care of their parents but I know these people will There are certain people who, and by the way, here's what you need to remember. You say, well, why would God do that? Why would God put those people in those situations? Here's why. It's not for the benefit of you. It's for the benefit of somebody else. God put this woman in that situation for the benefit of Elijah. It was Elijah who benefited from her faith. It was Elijah who got to eat every day. 
Because God entrusted, if you will, God entrusted Elijah's well-being to a pagan woman who was, didn't have any credentials to do what she was doing other than know how to make a meal. And she ends up trusting God. And his God becomes her God. And when Jesus is walking on earth and he's got to tell a story about faith, pulls up this unnamed widow of Zarephath to tell the story. So even Jesus uses her story to try to impact the religious leaders of the day. It wasn't about what she was going through. It was about how God was using her because, just like I could hand a very special piece of glass to a friend, knowing that he would care and appreciate it in the same way that I do, God has put that situation into your life for the benefit of somebody else. Because he knows there's not, he can't entrust that to just anybody. And I get it. I get the idea, well, hey, look, God, you know, find somebody else. You know? I don't. It speaks to how much and how God sees you. And I'm going to challenge you with this idea because some of you are in t- really tough situations. I mean, at work, at home, and family, all the dynamics. You're wondering why? And it's because God has an incredible amount of trust and confidence in you and the way you could handle those things with his help. The irony is he has more trust and confidence in you than you have in you. That's the irony. But he's not going to, just like I'm not going to hand anybody that piece of glass, I'm going to be very careful and very selective in who I let hold that. God is very careful, very selective in who he entrusts those impossible tasks to. And I want to encourage your heart. For some of you who've lost spouse, and you go, I don't know how it can go on. God knows. God's there to help. God understands that he can't just allow that to happen to just anybody. There's an incredible amount of trust and confidence in something that he wants to do that's bigger than you, that's bigger than your situation, that yes, it seems impossible, but God wants his glory and his, 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 his influence to be able to shine through that. So he's asked that of you. And if you stay humble and obedient, and if you allow God to use you, he will give you the strength to do more than you ever thought possible. And through it all, if you read the whole story, this pagan, heathen, I don't want anything to do with your God person puts her faith and trust in God. Goes through a really tough time to get there. And then at the end, when Jesus is on the earth and he's got to pick out of all the Old Testament, all of the choices of people who had faith, Picks this unnamed widow at Zerita. A mother. We don't even know what her name is. But we know her story. We know how God used her. And God can do the same thing with us as well. So I end with this this morning. A nameless widow in Zarephath reminds us of some important principles. God honors humble and obedient people. God is always aware of our circumstances and situation. Sometimes 
God asks the impossible from us because he has more trust and confidence in us than we have in ourselves. He can take our little and make much come from it if we're willing servants. I would say it the way some have said. It's okay. With God and I, we've got this. We've got it. Let's pray. Lord, there are folks in here that have struggles that none of us can, can, can comprehend. There are people, Lord, that are going through some diff, deep, difficult, hard times. Marriages, family, kids, jobs, finances. And, uh, Lord, through all of it, you're really interested in building character. You're really interested, Lord, in using their lives to impact others, for their story to be a story that you can use in the lives of people that they interact with. So, Lord, when you ask us to do the impossible, may we walk close with you to give the grace and strength that we need. Lord, may we be willing to do what you ask us to do. And, Lord, may you encourage hearts today. Lord, may we walk together with each other. May we build each other up. May we encourage one another so that, Lord, in those times that the, the, the things just become overwhelming, that, Lord, we know we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are praying for us, encouraging us, helping us when they, when, when, when they can. And, Lord, when it is all said and done, may you be honored and glorified in all that we do these things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, we're going to stand again.